you never forget your first time seeing the Voynich, that's for sure. There is something sort of magical about, about seeing an object that has generated so much controversy and so much interest. Actually seeing it in, in real life, it's very, uh, it's very powerful. It was the fall of 1988 when Lisa first laid eyes on the Voynich. She was a grad student at Yale studying paleography. Looking at medieval handwriting and trying to understand, based on the style of the handwriting, when and where a manuscript was written. And one day, sort of for, for kicks and giggles, her professor fished out the infamous manuscript from its vault in the Beinecke Library basement and brought it into class. From the outside, it just looked like an old book. It's not fancy. It doesn't have gold. It's not in a fancy binding. It's a very humble, messy, dirty object. It was made to be used. Inside, though, there were hundreds of pages of text in some completely unknown language. And these drawings, drawings that looked like they were pulled straight from a half-remembered dream, these otherworldly plants, they were fold-out maps, these strange, bizarre anatomical drawings. An intestine or a bladder with some, you know, liquid coming out, you know, it, it served a purpose. And we, we just don't know yet what that purpose was. To this day, no one knows what the heck the Voynich Manuscript really means. And that object generates more mail, email, phone calls, um, restraining orders than <laughs> any other object in the library. There are people who have showed up at the Beinecke Library demanding to see the manuscript because they believe that the, the administration, the curators, are hiding all the secrets. So yes, there are, there are several people out there who are not allowed within 50 feet of the Beinecke Library. I'm Dylan Thuris, and I am one of those people. This is Atlas Obscura, a celebration of the world's strange, incredible, and wondrous places. I am not actually uh, banned from going to the Beinecke Rare Book and Manuscript Library, but I could see it happening. Today, we're going to tell you the story of the Voynich Manuscript, how it got to the Beinecke, what it could possibly mean, and why we are all so incredibly infatuated with it. And I can tell you for a fact, nobody's hiding anything. <laughs> there's, there's no secret conspiracy out there, trust me. Of course, if there were a conspiracy, you would expect me to say there is no conspiracy. So I leave that to your, to your listeners. <laughs> to sort out the logic. <laughs> that is after this. If you're looking for a place where the wide open skies and the towering mountains inspire you to find an untapped part of yourself, you might want to take a trip to Wyoming. It's a place where bold, curious spirits forge their own way on all types of adventures. There is no shortage of iconic, expansive landscapes out there. You can discover breathtaking hikes, stunning state parks, authentic Western culture, and other historic sites, along with the tales of famous outlaws like Butch Cassidy and pioneers like Buffalo Bill Cody. The truth lies West. Discover yours at TravelWyoming.com. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? 
also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. To really understand Voynich the manuscript, you also need to know a little bit about Voynich the guy. We don't know absolutely 100% for sure how Mr. Voynich actually acquired the manuscript. Really, all we have is his story. And there are people out there today who don't believe him, who think that he was lying. That's Lisa again. Lisa Fagan Davis. I am a medievalist. I have been studying medieval manuscripts for 30 years, more than 30 years now. Lisa first started working at the Beinecke as an assistant to the curator. But the cross you have to bear is that you are also responsible for taking care of the Voynich manuscript. Which meant that she had to handle the daily influx of Voynich-related questions, comments, endless conspiracy theories. After a few years, she left and built her career cataloging medieval manuscript collections across North America. And in recent years, uh, I have sort of come back to the Voynich as one of the most interesting examples of a manuscript that has made its way across from its origins in Europe, presumably, to the United States. And the guy who brought it to the U.S.? That's Mr. Wilfred M. Voynich. He had a very mysterious past. He was a, a sort of mysterious, glamorous revolutionary. Wilfred was born in 1865 to a Polish family living in what was then the Russian Empire. And he did not love the Russian Empire, and so got involved in anti-Tsarist organizing. He was arrested, and then eventually he was sent to Siberia. But that was not the end of the story. He escaped from Siberia, and he made his way to London and, and became uh, a rare book dealer uh, and partnered with his wife, Ethel. Ethel was a pretty glamorous lady. She was a novelist, a musician, and like her husband, a revolutionary. And the two of them built this really successful um, rare book business. There were rumors that it was all a front for a much more political project. But the business itself took off, expanding internationally. And one day, Wilfred gets invited to check out this collection in Italy. He had been told that at the Jesuit compound at Villa Mondragone outside of Rome needed to sell a bunch of books and manuscripts. They needed money. He's ushered over to a pile of books and starts digging through them. And in that pile of books, he found the Voynich manuscript. And he immediately thought, this looks interesting. I bet I can, I bet I can make some money off of this. So he added it to his big pile of books and just said, okay, I'm going to buy all of these. And they said, okay, great. And just like that, Wilfred heads home with this old stack of books. In it is a manuscript that would come to bedevil him for the rest of his life. So around 1918, 1919, he settles in New York City and starts building his business. 
And this is right at the same period when people like JP Morgan are buying up art from Europe and bringing it to the States. So Voynich is trying to capitalize on this interest among the, these rich robber barons who are, are interested in forming um, these very spectacular collections. There were people who were interested, but nobody, nobody would buy it because nobody knew for sure what it was. It was simply unlike anything that people had seen before. It was full of strange symbols and these odd illustrations. So you have the first section that is all of these plants that some people believe they've identified. Some of them are, are extremely difficult to identify. After these whimsical plants comes this section that seems devoted to astrology. People obviously get excited about star charts because that's where the aliens come in. Uh, and suns and moons, they're quite charming. Then you have my favorite part of the manuscript, which is the, the naked ladies in the back. Um, you have uh, a whole bunch of pages where you have these waterworks and pools and naked women floating in them, bathing. But you also have these diagrams that really look like um, they're organic, right? So that looks a lot like a uterus and fallopian tubes and ovaries. So what's that about? Maybe they could be about women's health and medicinal bathing. Those were two fairly hot topics in medieval texts. And then you get to this sort of circular diagrams that mean who the hell knows what. It's totally unprecedented and beautiful. So Wilfred takes stock of all these bizarre, mysterious illustrations, and he decides to make a marketing play. He refuses to tell anyone where he got it, thinking that that would up the intrigue and boost its sticker price. But what actually happened was it just made people doubt its authenticity. It also ends up getting him in some real trouble. When he was in Chicago, he was having dinner with various curators and art historians. And he was talking to this, uh, the person sitting next to him and telling them all about this mysterious manuscript he had that was written in a code that nobody could read. And right across the table was someone who worked for the Bureau of Investigation. And so the Bureau of Investigation hears this and thinks, this guy's got a code book for the U.S. military. And so he, they immediately started investigating him as a spy. Especially because he had this mysterious background, right? He had a background, you know, as a Russian revolutionary. He was Jewish. You know, he was so very suspicious of him as, a, as an Eastern European immigrant just after World War I. And, you know, so this sort of anti-immigrant hysteria, uh, he, he fit right into that. And no matter how many times he says to them, it's a medieval manuscript. It is not a a code book for the U.S. Army. It took several years for him to be exonerated. Through it all, Wilfred is just trying to sell the damn thing. He enlists a professor of philosophy to decode it. And this professor spends his final years of life stringing together a theory. He says it was written in shorthand by a Franciscan friar. The theory is published, and for this brief, wondrous moment— Everybody thinks the case has been cracked. But then Wilfred dies, and shortly after that, the entire theory is torn apart by another academic. Meanwhile, Ethel becomes the keeper of the Voynich. And 
their books business is now in very serious debt. And they have to start closing down the business. And they sell the furniture, the bookcases. And in the end, they have nothing left except for the Voynich manuscript and a few other books. She brings in experts, art historians, anyone who might be able to reveal something about the manuscript. And this goes on for for decades, really, the rest of Ethel's life. Ethel dies in 1960. And like some kind of cursed heirloom, the Voynich gets passed along a string of people who cannot seem to decode it or make any sense of it or even make any money off of it. Eventually, a book dealer decides to just send it to the Beinecke Rare Book and Manuscript Library. And in the end, he gives it to Yale in 1968 as a way to ensure that it will be not only cared for, but but studied. The original Voynich gets locked away in a vault, but an exact copy is created, digitized, and made accessible to researchers and eventually the general public. And people are obsessed. Over the next few decades, countless theories crop up about what it is, who wrote it, everything from Leonardo da Vinci made it to, of course, aliens. Until recently, it was kind of a third rail of of medieval studies. Some scholars just dismiss the manuscript as a big hoax, a money-making scheme orchestrated by Wilfred Voynich himself. But other researchers start taking it more seriously. They carbon date the parchment and discover that it's from the early 15th century. They find evidence that it passed through the hands of a few really interesting historical figures before it came to Voynich. Everyone from a Roman emperor to a Jesuit priest named Athanasius Kircher, who tried to decode it himself. And linguists and cryptologists start studying the letter forms themselves, dubbing the language Voynichese. They identify 25 to 30 distinct letter forms used throughout the text. Uh, you know, if there were only 15, that wouldn't be plausible as, a, as an actual alphabet. And if there were 800, that would also not be plausible. But it's, it's kind of in, you know, the Goldilocks zone uh, of, of human alphabets. And those letter forms aren't just thrown together randomly. There are forms that appear paired up together often and others that never appear together, all of which implies that there are some sort of underlying linguistic rules. So while it could be a code, a lot of linguists argue that it might be a representation of a human language. It could be a language that just doesn't exist as a written language. And so someone had to make up phonemic symbols to record the language. It could just be a, a, a language that no other examples have come down to us. Only about 1% of the written record from the medieval period has survived to the present day. So much has been lost. So it's very possible that there were other examples and they've just been lost to time. In her own research studying the handwriting in the Voynich manuscript, Lisa recently made a breakthrough. The Voynich was not written by one person, but five people. It was a collection of people compiling this codex over a long time. You know, now I'm thinking of these five individuals working together for whatever reason, still lost in the, you know, the mists of time. This community of people coming together to create this extraordinary object. 
um, whose meaning they're, you know, they're trying to talk to us, right? The, the, the people who wrote this manuscript, they're trying to, to speak to us from centuries ago. And I, I want to hear them. I want to listen to them. And that's, for me, the, the real draw of this manuscript is trying to hear what it has to say. Even as we continue to struggle to hear what they're saying, the scribes who made this book left us with something truly powerful. A mystery, an unanswerable question at a time where it feels like everything is just a search away. A window into how much we still don't know about the world we inhabit and the people who inhabited it before us. And this is such a big mystery um, that it it really has this um, indelible hold on the imagination of the general public, experts, amateurs, manuscript scholars, cryptologists, linguists, botanists, you know, everybody. It's a mystery that's led to FBI searches, academic battles, and library restraining orders. But while we may not understand exactly what these historical figures were trying to tell us, it's also a book that has made its own history as it passed from hand to hand to hand. I'm turning these pages, Athanasius Kierkegaard turned those pages. That's just extraordinary as a, as a connection, not just to the origins of the manuscript, but to its in, entire, entire history, um, that you, you really do feel this immediate connection to the past. A very special thank you to Lisa Fagan Davis for taking the time to talk to us. If you'd like to see the Voynich Manuscript yourself, there is, uh, and this is very important to stress, you do not need to go to the library demanding to know the secrets. They will not show you the real manuscript. You can, however, just go online and look at the entire digitized copy, courtesy of Yale. We have dropped a link to that in the show notes. Our podcast is a co-production of Atlas Obscura and Stitcher Studios. This episode was produced by Abby Peralt. The production team includes Dylan Thuris, Doug Baldinger, Chris Naka, Camille Stanley, Amanda McGowan, Manolo Morales, Baudelaire, Gabby Gladney, Johanna Mayer. Our technical director is Casey Holford. This episode was mixed by Luce Fleming. And our theme and end credit music is by Sam Tyndall. I'm Dylan Thuris. Wishing you all the wonder in the world. I will see you next time. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Walmart Plus members save on meeting up with friends. Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus, a central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions.